Uh, I'm going I'm to go ahead and read our, our scripture, and it's the one we've been reading the past four weeks, so let's, let's do it. Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. God guides me along the right paths for God's namesake, and even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. All right, I'm going to let you all in uh, on, on a, a little bit of, of, of how the sausage is made. Um, what we do is three to six months before a series, we plan that series out. Uh, and so uh, this past fall, it was me and Juby and Mira. We were planning out our series for Lent right around now. It was like September, October time. And, um, and Juby and Mira had this great idea. They were like, let's do Psalm 23 and break it down throughout Lent. And I was like, that's an incredible idea. I was really, really excited about that. It's a popular passage, right? It's kind of cool to see what's like behind that passage. And, um, and so I was down for it. And so far, it's been really good because Mira talked about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And then uh, if you were here with me last week, I talked about uh, still waters and green pastures. Was anybody here with me last week to talk about that? A few people, yeah. And then Mira at the retreat actually talked about the rod and the staff. And that was pretty cool. And I would suggest you follow up on all those on our podcast. And you can find it wherever podcasts are. Um, we have all those messages. And then, and then I get to today. And it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I was really mad at Juby Amira for, for suggesting that we do this Psalm 23 thing. Because I am clueless as to what we should talk about today. Not clueless, I got some ideas. Um, but you know what we say at this church, we say we're more interested in asking good questions rather than having right answers. Today's one of those days, okay? And so when I prayed through this and looked over it and read commentaries, I was like, you know what? Um, I'm not sure this is it, frankly speaking. I'm not sure that what I'm going to tell you today is it. But it's what I'm thinking about and it's what I'm wondering and it's what I'm praying through. And so what I want you to do is I want you to hear what I have to say and then go back and read this on your own. If we believe that scripture is living, then that means the spirit is working through all of our interpretations, all the ways we feel this, right? All the ways that, um, that this passage speaks to us. So mine is just going to be one of many thoughts, all right? And I just want to put that out there for everybody today, okay? This was a tough one for me, but let's preach on it anyway. Let's talk about it anyway. It's going to be fun, right? Thank you. Finally, somebody's, yeah, all of a sudden I got nervous. You're like, no, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be awful. Uh, and so, okay, so let me, let me talk through my process a little bit. So I'm reading commentaries and I'm praying through things. And a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, commentaries say stuff like, oh, when God talks about um, a table before the enemies, God's talking about how there's this wonderful table and everybody's there, including our enemies. And I was like, no, I don't like that. I don't buy that. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, anointing head with oil, it's pretty common uh, in the culture around Jesus' time to where if you anointed somebody's head with oil, they were a chosen one or a favored one. And I thought to myself, like, okay, that's all right. Like, uh, you know, we've done that before. But it still didn't fit for me. And so here's a little thing that I do when I'm reading the Old Testament especially. When I'm reading the Old Testament especially, and I would challenge you to do the same thing, always look at what the uh, Jewish commentaries are saying. Look at what's happening in the Jewish tradition, because this is their Bible, right? They know better than Christians. They've been around for a few thousand more years. They have other ideas, right? And so then I, I went to the, the Jewish commentaries, and that's where I was like, ah, this makes more sense. This fits in maybe with a little bit more what the psalmist is saying when the psalmist, psalmist talks about um, walking through valleys of the shadow of death or having just enough to get by, whatever else it might be. So what the, what the, the commentary said 
is that literally at this time, literally at this time, when you defeated another enemy, when you defeated somebody, you would literally set a table before your enemies. Literally. So all these captives would be there in captivity, and the victors would literally set a table, and where they would sit there, they would eat in front of their enemies. Like legitimately. It was a way to utterly humiliate your opponent. That's what it was. So it's quite possible that when this psalmist is saying, you prepare a table before my enemies, what this psalmist is saying, thank you, God, for utterly humiliating my enemies. It's possible. Again, we're not entirely sure. Now, the anointing head with oil part, what I found was interesting when I started reading these commentaries, was that they say they literally would anoint sheep's heads with oil. Now, why? Because sheep would get like bugs and parasites in their nostrils and in their mouth and in their ears, and then they would get caught in thickets. And so this would stop the, the parasites from getting into their nose and their ears and their orifices, and they would keep them from getting stuck in thickets. This was really, like very literally, uh, you anoint my head with oil, um, and you stop me from having enemies get into my head, to get into my brain, to get into me, right? So what we're doing is we're talking about, uh, very specifically about, you're keeping me away from enemies. You're giving victory over my enemies. You're humiliating my enemies. And then this one rabbi, his name's uh, Pesach Waliki, he says this. He says, the psalmist is basically saying, Lord, give me all that I need to be respected and victorious in the face of my enemies. That's what he's saying. And then he's saying that anointed isn't the anointed that we know at all, but it instead means to fatten up or to prepare. And so what this rabbi said, he said, what we're doing is we're preparing. We're getting ready to face our enemies and to be victorious and to win. Okay? Now, at this church all the time, I talk about God being love. All of the time. And I say all of the time. I say um, every time we draw a line and we push our enemies to the other side, I always say there stands Jesus on the other side, right? With our enemies. Does this fit? I don't know. Does it fit? So I started thinking about it a little bit more, and I was like, you know what? I think I like this. I think I like what this psalmist is saying about defeating enemies and being vindicated from enemies. I think I like it. Now, why do I like it? Well, because we have all, every single one of us in this room, do not lie, we have all been on the subway, and someone has said something to us or done something to us, and we have stayed silent, We've ignored it. We've even gotten off the subway. And six months later, we're in the shower. And we go, oh, I could have said that to that person. And, they, and you know what? And I wouldn't have ignored it. And I wouldn't have remained silent. I wouldn't have even got off the subway. In fact, that thing that I would have said to that person would have been so good that the whole subway car would have applauded. <laughs> and we go, that's what I'm going to say next time it happens. We like our revenge fantasies. But more seriously, I like the idea of vindication from our enemies. I like that idea. So I think about anyone who's ever experienced a crime of hate based on ethnicity or color of skin, and I think, you know what? I want vindication for that person who's experienced that or those people who have experienced that. And I think about um, those of us who have uh, suffered abuse, and I want vindication, and I want freedom, and I want punishment for the abusers who have hurt us. I think about family members who shun us or relationships that fall apart and have created giant aches within us. And for those reasons, I want someone to feel the same ache and the same pain that I feel when I've been shunned or I've been hurt or someone's done something egregious to me. 
And then I think uh, there are enemies that we have that, that aren't necessarily physical or don't have heartbeats. I think of depression and anxiety and that kind of pain. And I think about um, me wanting to uh, have that enemy vanquished, right? I don't want to deal with the depression and anxiety I deal with. I want it gone. God, take that away. Punish that thing. Get it off me. And there's a million more that I haven't named but a million more things we can call enemies. And the idea of God vanquishing our enemies, preparing a table before our enemies, us being so victorious over our enemies that we're eating in front of them while they're in captivity, that feels good to me. feels important to me. feels necessary to me. So what about the psalmist? What does the psalmist think? Anybody ever hear of David? David in our Bible? Y'all know David? Raise your hand if y'all know David. Good, most of you do. If you grew up in church, uh, then you probably know two stories about David. Uh, the first is David and Goliath. David, a small shepherd boy, takes a rock and hits Goliath, who the Bible tells us was nine feet tall. Don't you love our literal Bible? And then we probably heard another story about Goliath. When Goliath was king, right? And he sees Bathsheba bathing on a roof, and he takes Bathsheba to be his own, and he kills Bathsheba's husband. And we talk all the time about that being an adulterous affair. Let's call it what it is. That was a king using power against a woman, so that woman was raped. Okay, let's stop, let's stop making the Bible nice and clean. It's not. Okay, and so we hear about David raping another woman. That's what we hear about. Those are probably the two most famous stories we hear when it comes to David. Now, most theologians say that David wrote this psalm. In fact, it's, it's not 100% certain, but they're like, yeah, we think that's probably the case. So what was going on in the life of David when David wrote this, and what kind of vindication was David looking for when David was uh, um, asking for God to prepare a table before, um, before, uh, before his enemies? What was, what was God asking, or was David asking God to do? So let's talk about it a little bit. And this is the point where I say our Bible is a mess in such a good way, all right? The story of David during this time is like a, a Scorsese movie. It's like incredible, all right? And so I'm just going to tell this story in a nutshell the best I can. But anyway, David kills Goliath. Everybody loves him. And there's a king named Saul. And Saul says, I want to get on this love fest. I want to get in on the popularity. And so what Saul does is Saul makes David a general. And so then David goes out and starts killing people left and right and just, just, just killing people. And at one point, he brings back 200 foreskins for Saul. Um, I just decided to add that in there. It really has nothing to do with anything. It's in our Bible. It's in our Bible. Uh, and, and so people start to sing this song, and the song goes like this. King Saul kills thousands, but David kills ten thousands. And that makes King Saul really jealous. So what does King Saul do? He says, hey, David, come play the liar in my court. So David says, all right. David goes and plays the liar in his court. And Saul takes a spear and throws it at him. And our Bible says that Saul wanted to pin him against the wall with the spear. He doesn't do it once. He does it twice. And both times he misses. So David runs away, because that's what you do when people are throwing spears at you. And uh, he runs away, and Saul says, hey, David, I'm super sorry. Uh, as, a, as an apology, you can marry one of my daughters. To which David said, well, I'm not of royal lineage, so I really don't want to do that, which makes people love David even more, right? Oh, what a man. He's got integrity and character and all the rest. And so everybody loves him, including Saul's son, Jonathan, who has this major crush on him. It's a really big deal. And so Saul's really angry again. And Saul says, hey, David, you want to come back and play the liar again? And David does not learn his lesson. And he goes, sure. And the same thing happens. Saul starts throwing spears. And again, Saul's got terrible aim. So he misses twice. Again, this is all in our Bible. All right? So he misses twice. This time, Saul's not going to like be cool about it anymore. So David has to escape. So how does David escape? He pulls the old fake body in the bed trick. 
right? The one that we all use when we went to drink Mad Dog 2020 in the woods and got away from our parents. That's the trick that he uses, right? And so the soldiers come in and they pull the sheets and like, ah, it's not David, that's a fake body. And David's run away and he's running to the caves. Now, who are in the caves? Criminals, thieves, murderers, robbers, people who are also fleeing from the law are in the cave. So David is not only running for his life, but he's also dealing with these other criminals, murderers, thieves that are all in these caves, right? Saul's looking for him with hundreds of soldiers. Criminals are all around him. David, his life is in peril, in absolute peril. In fact, Saul's out there looking for him, right? Has hundreds of soldiers. David's been hiding. David's tired. Saul's like, I got to go to the bathroom. So Saul goes into a cave, goes to the bathroom, and David's hiding in that cave. So David takes a knife. He walks up to Saul. He cuts off a little corner of his robe. And he goes, Saul, I could have killed you, but instead I cut a corner of your robe. And Saul goes, thank you. I'm going to give you 24 hours to run. <laughs> and that's basically what happens. And it's during this time where David's life is in such peril that every day he wakes up being chased by hundreds of soldiers, every day he wakes up dealing with murderers and robbers and criminals and all the rest, he writes this psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He goes on and on. He gives me just enough to get through the day. He prepares a table before my enemies, the enemies that are literally trying to take my life every second. Do we see that David has real enemies? Do we see that David's life is at stake here? Do we see why David would say, God, give me victory over these people and then humiliate them because I am tired of running. I am tired of it. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. It makes me wonder about God's love in this situation and whether God would honor David in that. There's a theologian. His name is Miroslav Wolf. And Miroslav Wolf, uh, he's over at Yale now, but he... Uh, it was part of the Bosnian and uh, Croatian um, conflicts in the early 90s. And during that time, he was questioned and he was tortured. And he knew women that were raped and killed. His friends had their throats slit. And this is what he said. He said this. He said, God is non-coercive and perfect love. However, that only feels true in the quiet of the suburban home. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, that idea will invariably die. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. And I think about that God that's so loving. We say God is so loving and God loves all and affirms all, and I believe that. And I look across when I draw that line and I see my enemies on the other side of that line and I see God with them. The idea that God would not punish those enemies or would not give me vindication from that hurt or that pain, that's not necessarily a God I want to worship. I want a God who is bringing me justice on the other side of that line. So what do I do with that tension? David writes uh, other psalms. Did you all know David writes a bunch of psalms? He does. He writes some other psalms. Uh, and he uses this word often in the psalms that he writes. And I picked one, Psalm 17.7. <clears throat> it says, Wondrously, show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand and from those who rise up against them. Wondrously show your loving kindness. This word loving kindness, I've actually preached on it before a few times. I haven't preached on it in about two years, so if you're newer, two years old at this church, this is the first time you'll hear about it. There's no real great translation for this word. This word is the Hebrew word chesed. Okay, has anybody ever heard of the Hebrew word chesed before? Okay, good, you're all fresh, you're all new. All right, um, 
This word has said, it's loving kindness, steadfast love, but it doesn't get to that. It's a really deep and important word. And the best I can do to explain has said to you is God is the infinite and unimaginable God, right? God is bigger than everything we know. I always say God does not exist, but God is the ground of all existence, which means God is outside of space and time and everything else. But God binds God's self to one law and one law only. And the law that God binds God's self to is that God will never, ever stop loving us. That God will never, ever separate from us. That no matter what we do, no matter where we go, there is nothing that God will do um, where God doesn't love us. Do we get that? So God says, I can do anything in the world. I can do anything in the universe. I can do anything above the universe. But the one thing I'm bound to is to always love God. You, to always love my creation, to always love us. I'm bound to it. Which means if we're talking about chesed love here, what God is saying is God is saying there's nothing you can do to get away from my love. It's always there. You're never separate from it. I want nothing but the best for you. And here's the most important part. And I always want justice for you. I always want justice for you against your enemies. I'm bound to you. I'm bound to love you. I always want justice for you. And so what David is saying, when David is saying, you prepare a table before my enemies, David is saying, God, I'm so loved. I know I am so loved that you want justice for me against this wrongdoing. You want justice for me against this enemy. You prepare a table before my enemies. You want me to be victorious because you're bound to it. You're bound to want that for me. And sure enough, David becomes victorious. David does get out of that situation. David does become king. And I think about us, and I think about the pain we face. I think about the pain of those who have experienced our victims of hate crime, and we say that, that enemy, you know, I know God loves that enemy, uh, but, they, they don't need, they, but they need to be punished. And God's saying, yeah, I'm bound to justice. So even though I, I, my love is there, I'm bound to make sure that there is victory for those who are, who are enemies. That's said love. For our abusers, God says, I see that abuser and I love that abuser, but you need victory over that abuser because I'm bound to that. That is said love. For addiction and depression, yeah, I see that you are addicted, uh, addicted to something. I see you're depressed. I see you're anxious. I see you have this sickness and I want that sickness eradicated. I want justice for you because I'm bound to you. That is said love. So it's a different way of looking at things. Most of the time, and you can raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. When we're going through pain or when we do have an enemy, we always say, and I say this, so I say, why is God doing this to me? Do you all say that? Why is God doing this? Yeah, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being honest, yeah. And you know what? What I'm hearing God say through this passage is, I'm not doing it to you. I want justice for you. And so while you're feeling this way, I am working for your justice. I'm working to see you free. I am bound to you. That's Hesed, love. It's true for us. It's true for Miroslav Wolf. And it's true for David. And here's the thing I love about God's Hesed, love. It doesn't know any favorites. It doesn't play favorites. God is bound to all of us. And so when God sees injustice happening, God wants justice to come there. So when David rapes Bathsheba, my guess is she prayed, God, free me from this injustice. And God does. David faces consequences. David loses a child. In fact, David dies never regaining the trust of his family because 
of his brokenness, because of his egregious mistake, because he became an enemy. God doesn't play favorites in that. God is bound to us, bound to bring justice to us. And then if we're on the other side and we are the enemy, God shows us what justice looks like. And that feels hard. I want God to be like, ah, no, no worries. (laughs) But God's like, I love you so much that I'm bringing justice to the person you've harmed too. I think I see this play out in a really interesting way. Anybody remember Pope John Paul? Anybody remember that pope? Are you old enough to remember that pope? Yeah, one of the things that was really interesting to me is, you know, somebody tried to kill him. He was shot, right? And what was most interesting uh, to me, uh, maybe not interesting, but but just this wonderful example of Hesed is, is Pope John Paul started a relationship with the person who tried to kill him, prayed for him, forgave him, visited him in jail, but had the option to um, not press charges or to let this person go. And the pope said, no, I, I think I need vindication for the fact that he tried to kill me. And so he ended up in jail. And there's a sense of hesed there. You are loved. You will always be loved. But yeah, if you do something egregious towards somebody else, there's a consequence. But at the same time, God is working to bring justice to the victim, justice to us. God is, uh, we don't have to say, God, uh, why are you doing this to me? We get to say, God, how are you freeing me from this? When will you free me from this? And God says, I know I'm working on it. That's hesed. And that's hard. And so I guess when I think about this passage and preparing a table before our enemies and God working on the side of justice, I think about Jesus. I think about the fact that God um, says, you want to know what I look like? Look at Jesus. And I look at Jesus and what's Jesus doing throughout the life of Christ? Continually and constantly working to bring justice to those who are marginalized. Continually and constantly working to bring justice to the oppressed. Continually and constantly rallying against the powerful, right? The Roman Empire over and over. Jesus says, with the, with the powerful religious and what the powerful empire are doing, I, I'm bringing you victory over those people. And then Jesus dies, right? Jesus shows us what it feels like when it doesn't feel like we're getting victory from our enemies. Shows us what it feels like when we have to yell out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Shows us what it feels like when we have to yell out, God, I wish this cup would pass over me. Why aren't you freeing me from my enemies yet? And then God says, you want to know what I'm really doing? Here's the resurrection. Here it is. Justice is coming. And so as I wrestle with this passage and I wrestle with who God is and I wrestle with all of it, I think the one thing I want us all to believe today is that our enemies, when we have them, who are they? What do they look like? What do they feel like? I want us to believe that God through Jesus is showing us that our enemies don't get the last word, that God isn't doing this to us, but through God's chesed love, God is working to free us, to bring us justice, to set a table before them. And today, I think I'm just asking us to believe that. Amen.